welcome to the Change Healthcare Podcast. On today's show, Molly Gamble, Editor-in-Chief of Becker's Hospital Review and Vice President of Editorial at Becker's Healthcare, speaks with Change Healthcare's Kelly Blair about the new normal facing providers. And now, here's Kelly and Molly. Hi, this is Kelly Blair. I'm the Senior Vice President of Health System Services with Change Healthcare. I'm here today with Molly Gamble, who is the Editor-in-Chief of Becker's Hospital Review. Welcome, Molly. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. It's great to be here with you as well. And welcome to our series of interviews with leaders across the industry with our goal of hoping to get some perspective in how hospitals and payers and health systems are dealing with the business impact of COVID-19. Um, to start, Molly, do you want to give a little bit of intro or, or background? Sure, yeah. So um, I am the Vice President of Editorial at Becker's Healthcare and Editor-in-Chief of Becker's Hospital Review. Um, this fall will be my 10th year with the company. It has just been such a such a fun ride. Um, and I started off as a rare reporter, so I kind of you know, had a staunch learning curve in my first few years with Beckers and covering the industry. Now I work with a team of 19 writers and editors who we have spread out to cover different sectors within healthcare from payer to pharma to supply um, quality. So pretty much several realms and past six weeks have just been um, fascinating, I would say. I think, you know, there's a lot of adjectives you could use to describe it, but I'm really looking forward to this conversation today with you, Kelly. It's really my first attempt to kind of package up so many of these broad takeaways and observations since we've spent six weeks, like many of you, just so in the weeds. Um, So to take a step back and look at it as a forest has been uh, eye-opening for me in preparing for this. So thanks for having me. No, we're very excited to have you. And yeah, this has been, I think, um, the amount of times we've said the word unprecedented in the last mm-hmm. six weeks has been significant uh, given what we've we've been dealing with as an industry. You know, could you maybe start and talk about sort of, you know, with Becker's being so ingrained in in the with the healthcare systems, what you're hearing from providers, you know, what they're struggling with and thinking about? Absolutely. So it's really been moving quickly. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we did a big compilation with providers in the 10 hardest hit states, heard from 73 people, um, you know, titles vary, but most of them were C-level executives. Uh, we asked them the question, you know, based on the idea that this virus would continue its geographic spread, uh, we wanted to talk to those who were kind of early on and get their sense of if you do nothing else in the next week, hospitals in other states should at least do this. And an overwhelming response from people who took time out of their day, even though they were really in the thick of it, to share their leadership lessons with, you know, in regards to communication with employees, uh, surge staffing and disaster planning, uh, how to take care of employees' emotional well-being and um, you know, making sure that folks are okay mentally as, as best as, as they can. So it was really quite eye-opening just to see so many different takeaways. Um, really interesting. And I think even now over the past couple of weeks, week and a half, we have to be careful in how we describe it because so many organizations are still really pressed. There's, there's definitely not much relief right now, but it's, you look to New York, um, it's not as dire as it was 
uh, a couple of weeks ago. So it's it's too early to say we're in recovery just yet, but I think leaders' mindsets right now are they're devoting more time to recovery planning than they were even a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I talked to one health system CEO in New York today, and he said that he thinks the recovery is going to be more complicated than the past six weeks were for his organization, which is saying a lot. He took care of, you know, his system took care of 20% of the COVID patients in the state. So he saw, you know, immense um, constraints and pressures on his organization. So I think for him to say that recovery is going to be even more complex, um, I, I thought that was an interesting remark. And did he give you much insight into some of the complexities that the health system will be facing as they move into this recovery phase? He did, yeah. He, you know, it's 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 some things will strike you, and I say them as really practical and simple. But I think just the number of them combined and the number of unknowns they're facing makes for a, a tricky equation. He's looking at so relatively simple, you know, they had to create 1,600 ICU beds in a matter of days. Every conference room in their hospitals right now is was retrofitted for ICU beds. He has up, about 35,000 employees working from home um, for revenue cycle, HR, back office functions. He doesn't necessarily want to bring them back into the fold anytime soon just because that would complicate social distancing for the organization. Even things like their waiting rooms. So he mentioned this one waiting room at a practice. It usually holds about 20 people. Um, They're going to have to bump that down to about 7 to 12 and then have people wait in their cars for appointments. Um, How do you test employees? How often do you test employees? Uh, There's just so many questions that remain. And I think one thing he's really grappling with, as is, you know, Across the country, we see this in California too, but um, in every state, but restoring public trust and and coming back out and returning to a hospital setting after we've been coached and instructed, and it's it's not their fault by any means. I mean, we've been told to lice all our doorknobs after you have people who touch them in your own home. And so now to tell them, hey, come back to the hospital. We want you to come back and see your physician resume your care, come in for your elective procedure, that is a huge um, juxtaposition for people. So I think robust communication on their part too is something that's really top of mind for him and his, his team. Yeah, that's very interesting. And and when you were talking about kind of the lessons learned around communication, I was curious if that was, you know, primarily a focus of internal communication or also, you know, how health systems are trying to communicate with their patient populations. Do you have any more perspective on that? I really think it's both. Yeah, I think it's it's both. I think even we have we've reported on upwards of 200 now hospitals and health systems that have issued furloughs. Um, how do you have communication in place for even your employees that can't access their email accounts? Um, wh- where do they go for consistent messaging about what kind of organization will they return to? Um, what role do they have in the future of this organization? And with patients, I think too, we're gonna talk about data, I know a little bit later, but so much of what they're trying to do as well is just maintain um, public cooperation with social distancing. You're starting to see now more headlines about quarantine fatigue, people are hitting a wall of quarantine, um, kind of going back out into society, gathering with other people. There's a bit more resistance and defiance than we saw a few weeks ago with social distancing. 
And I think the data really, you know, there's a story to be told about how much those efforts have helped alleviate unnecessary strain on the system. And I think a lot of hospital leaders we've spoken to are trying to, you know, when they talk to patients in the public, um, A, restore trust in that our hospitals will be safe for you to return to when you're ready. And B, until then, you know, there's the science shows social distancing works. Please help us. Um, you know, the CEO I spoke to today said, it's that's the public side of the equation. That's our part and our duty to uphold. While you have the clinicians and healthcare providers, we are claiming they're heroes and deservedly so. We can't be resisting social distancing anytime soon. Um, you know, they've done their part. We need to do ours. Definitely. And how do you see communication amongst providers? So you have places like New York, you know, we're both Chicago um, folks and we can see what's happening here in the state. Are you seeing a lot of communication across providers trying to sort of prepare, you know, the next hot spot or, or hard, hard hit areas? Definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, from, from our lens, from the Becker's lens, um, we were we didn't expect much when we put out that query about lessons learned from the front lines in the 10 hardest hit states. We thought, you know, given the other demands for attention these men and women and leaders face, we'll be happy if we hear back from 20. To hear back from 73, I think just shows the intent to share information and best practices, what works, missteps to avoid. Um, it's never been stronger. So that was just so reassuring to hear. There was another executive in New York for his first day off in three, three, three weeks, I believe, three weeks, if not more than a month. He spent his first day off working on a column about what he was seeing from the front lines that ran with us. And, you know, that's not just a plug for backers. I think that's a plug for the spirit of these leaders and that even on a hard earned day off, they want to sit down and write for their colleagues in other states and across the country. Hey, here's what I saw um, and, and put it out there for them to get plans in place and make the most of their time. I think too, more broadly from system to system, a lot of these organizations, you know, six weeks ago, they were pretty fierce competitors in so many ways. And it took a crisis, you know, fortunately that totally changed. Um, you've got them now on the phone every other day in the morning, comparing volumes, um, sharing equipment, sharing PPE, um, you know, rerouting patients to, to settings that weren't as overrun with COVID-19 patients. So I think it's been something that, um, you know, is temporary, but I, I think it's also pretty amazing to see that in such a short amount of time, how years long competition and competitive relationships can be put to rest and for the greater good. So I think that's just been one other thing that's been pretty remarkable from afar to observe and, and to cover. Yeah, it has been interesting just to see the number of articles and information about, you know, everybody's kind of learning together and, and the importance of sharing that information. So you sort of spoke about providers to providers. Um, what about the payer side of the industry? What are you seeing there? And, and how might payers be coming together, you know, to support providers in this time? Yeah, I think with payers, as I was organizing my thoughts here, I think there's a few more questions remain. I think, you know, rightly so, the providers have really been kind of the, the front and center of, of this story so far. Um, I think over the next six weeks, it'll be interesting to see what we see more of from the payers. 
you know, we've already seen some adjustments with how they are, um, you know, coverage for COVID-19 related conditions, um, expediting payments to hospitals. So they've done some things that are, you know, relatively behind the scenes in terms of supporting uh, hospitals and health systems. I think one question I, I'm really keeping a close eye on, and I know many others are as well, but what will happen with telehealth? Um, I think the genie's kind of out of the bottle on that one. I think even Seema Verma herself said there's no going back. I know CMS said that their numbers um, for Medicare telehealth users, which traditionally were pretty pretty small, um, you know, went from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands. So it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out in the long run and whether reimbursement will continue to support those efforts. Um, I think I can't imagine going back anytime soon. I think it's been something that for years and years we've covered telehealth and it took this pandemic and this virus really got it to be accelerated in terms of adoption and now how people will look to it as a measure of their safety and convenience. And it kind of raises the question, like many work from home arrangements do as well. I think hospitals will look a lot different moving forward and payers too, but um, why would I, why wouldn't I do telehealth? Why would I go in? Um, before the question was, why would I do telehealth and not just go in? It's been completely reversed. So that's one interesting question we're keeping a close eye on as well. No, that's great. Um, and is there anything else? So you kind of talked about the payer aspect of that, the provider, anything else you're hearing from your readers? Just Im immense thanks and appreciation for the frontline caregivers. Um, you're seeing now people are, or systems are starting to do hazard pay. There's starting to be, I think, more concern being voiced about the long-term mental health, emotional effects of this, the amount of death they saw in such a condensed period of time, um, not only for patients, but also their colleagues, you know, being, testing positive for this, worrying about their health, their families. Um, so I think that that's something that we'll continue to grapple with. I think too, there's been questions raised about, you know, this crisis forced so many organizations to behave differently. So what decisions that previously would have taken a departmental meeting, you know, perhaps some closer analysis, maybe it took like two to three weeks happen overnight. And I think a lot of organizations are going to, the, the, Things won't go back to how they were six weeks ago, for better or for worse. I think um, the spirit of innovation and what was made possible will just naturally cause some leaders to revisit anything that would hinder them, any obstacles they previously had in place, what was holding them back that during this emergency was waived or suspended. Do we really need those measures? I think it's going to kind of, it, the agility we've seen they'll probably try to make an opportunity out of that. It would be a shame if we left this, when we come out of this, whenever that is, we snap back to normal and didn't adjust for anything or revise anything. Um, that seems extremely unlikely. So whether that's further consolidation, um, whether that's keeping employees working from home, um, I, I'm not sure exactly, but I think the spirit is there where people are starting to convene and analyze what let us act so quickly and how do we make sure that we don't invite unnecessary 
burdens back into our system. Um, I think that's something else that they're spending a lot of time thinking about. No, it makes sense. I mean, I think about us here with with change healthcare and, you know, work from home was a strategy. And I mean, within two weeks, you know, you execute on something that you you thought was going to be, you know, a, an, a fiscal year 21 strategy. And so you're right, mm-hmm. taking the time to really understand how were we able to successfully move so quickly and how do you continue to try to replicate that outside of the, the crisis mode. Um, mm-hmm in that. So obviously at Becker's, you're playing an important role and we've talked about that. I mean, communication is everything. Um, what else are you guys doing or what's new and upcoming to, to help your, you know, readership um, deal with this crisis? Yeah, no, we, I mean, we are, it's been a privilege every, every single day over the past several weeks to for my team and I to wake up in the comfort of our home and dive into the news cycle and figure out um, what is most pressing for our readers to know on any given day. Um, so you know, at the editorial team, which I'm most closely aligned with, we have done a, a lot. Um, we have really, we've been, we have no paywall. We've always been totally accessible uh, because of support from partners like Change. We really respect our readers' time. So on a normal day, we would make sure that every single newsletter we put out, every story we put out, anything that has Becker's name on it is sharp, relevant, concise, really valuable. Um, That just intensified over the past six weeks. So my team, I'm so, you know, proud to work with a team that really rose to the occasion with that. We revised our workflow a lot in editorial, so we revised our working hours, got up earlier to cover the morning news cycle more aggressively. We've done a lot of federal, state-level, provider-level roundups of news to make it easier for readers, so that's just one place and everything is there. Um, and we've also, on the event side of the company, we've had to make a lot of adjustments there and pivots too, so we're looking into virtual events and offering um, our women's leadership virtual forum this week. So by the time this airs, it will likely already have occurred, but that'll be this this Wednesday. We have over a thousand registrants who will be joining us for a panel conversation about mentoring, um, building one's identity as a female leader, and the likability trap. So so many other topics there. We're also pivoting and doing our health IT clinical leadership pharmacy event virtually. Um, so that'll be in May. And we're really grateful for panelists who had already agreed to come out in Ch- to Chicago and be with us in person and spend some time with us. Um, the fact that even though their workload has dramatically changed over the past several weeks, they're still making time to make sure we're keeping these conversations available for our readers and attendees. Uh, we are so, so thankful. No, that's great to hear. And so as you, you know, are working on kind of what's that relevant content and those types of things, we've touched on, you know, telehealth as a top priority and planning for revenue recovery. But how do you see hospitals trying to manage through, you know, patient volume declines, trying to stay solvent in this time? Are there any other trends or important things you're seeing? Yeah, that's, we've, you know, we've covered, like I said, more than 200 furloughs. Um, and it's, I mean, it's tricky. So we're, you're starting to see now CMS and the other healthcare bodies have issued guidance about resuming elective surgeries. States have their various date dates and guidelines in place. Um, 
but but it's it's really tough because I think the biggest thing is when these hazard pay stories come out. I mean, no system is really doing well. Um, the CIO I talked to today losing hundreds of millions of dollars a month, and they're a system that extended twenty five, sorry, so two thousand five hundred dollar bonuses to every frontline employee and five days more PTO. Um, just to make sure that morale is okay, their well-being is okay, show appreciation for them. Uh, it is, it's really tricky. I, I empathize and I can't even imagine being in those shoes when it comes to trying to shore up dollars at a time when you want to show appreciation and recognition to your employees probably more than ever uh, in their lifetime. So that's a question we're looking further into this week. Actually, we're going to get a, a query out to a lot of health system CFOs and CIOs to figure out what projects, uh, capital investments, strategic components of their strategic plans are they delaying um, just in light of their financial position. It's also in the next couple of weeks, you'll see a lot of quarterly earnings come out, which I think will be much more telling. Um, we've only seen a couple thus far from some health systems around the, the US. So it's still early on, but I think when you start to see numbers like that, um, it's it's going to become a much right now the details aren't readily available to us but we're trying to get in touch with some CFOs and CIOs to figure out what's what they're hitting pause on but I think the the quarterly earnings are going to be very interesting definitely and and like you said I mean it's such a balance because you've got you know that emotional well-being of of team members and and how you deal with that with you know trying to manage the the long-term financial viability of, of the health system, given what's happening. Um, how do you see data starting to play a role in all this? So we talked a little bit about quarterly earnings, obviously one, one set of data, but how, how do you see from a clinical perspective, you know, as hospitals maybe think to start to ramp up or really try to assess the impact of COVID? How, mm -hmm. how are you seeing that play into this? Yeah, I think, you know, the data element, um, I just read a really great piece today in the New Yorker and it mentioned a few different questions we're left with as this pandemic starts to come slow down and one of them was just the amount of activity and clinical insights shared on Twitter and Facebook and how the EMR um, they, they had a good line where it was like the electronic part of an EMR is like saying your grandfather's radio was electronic and that it didn't in this case from from several clinicians perspective prove to be a vehicle that was useful for sharing insights on the ground to inform better patient care. So CDC just updated their symptoms for coronavirus today. They added six more. There was just so many, there were so many unknowns about this virus from the symptoms to how it presented to treatment options. Um, and I think that was that was one takeaway I got from that piece. It's very long and it's a great piece, but what does this mean for the, the EMR has been so obviously helpful for billing and for coding and for making sure that hospitals are reimbursed properly. But we've talked about it in the past, not just at Becker's, but industry-wide about how physicians, you know, they would say it led to burnout. They kind of had an adversarial relationship with the EMR for years and years. This pandemic, I think, just sheds new light on, it makes it a more sophisticated conversation. It's not just that they don't like spending time on it or the clicks. 
it's that when it comes to patients with a virus that is you know so deadly and so serious and how do I make sure that whether I'm in New Jersey and I'm learning from those in New York I'm in Seattle learning from those in you know California that there's a place where I can go for credible clinical insights um, you know, Twitter and Facebook are great. Twitter and Facebook also have a lot of problems when it comes to misinformation. So I think that was one thing I walked away with. We, we're not a clinical journal at Becker's, but there was no way that those insights had the time to get cleared by clinical journals. The whole process of having a vetted information be peer reviewed and published went by the wayside. And I think it proved to be an instance where the gap we see for a useful tool for the clinicians to share information and exchange information, um, it was it was glaring. So I think that's that's one remark I would share about data. Um, and I think data is going to be so informative from so many other reasons in terms of the recovery efforts, but I, I think that was one that really stands out to me the most was those remarks from physicians and those on the front lines in terms of useful, relevant clinical data that they can act on. No, that's a really, really good point. You know, you think about the electronic medical record and, and the goal of being able to share information and then, you know, sort of with the first test, I mean, at least you kind of find out where, where the gaps are in a situation like this. So I have to imagine that with those organizations, you know, this will spark, you know, hopefully some innovation um, in order to correct that issue. Are there other places that you're, you're seeing innovation that's either unexpected or, you know, moving rapidly? So much. I think there's just been so much over the past several weeks that was really in response to um, social distancing constraints, equipment constraints. I know, um, you know, there's been Common Spirit transformed its hospital cafeterias into makeshift grocery stores for its physicians and other frontline employees. Um, Northwell in New York, they had a team that turned BiPAP machines into functional ventilators through 3D printing, which is pretty incredible. Um, also, you know, like I said, this was a system that retrofitted all of its conference rooms to become ICU beds. So they created 1,600 beds across the whole system. I think, you know, it's, I can name organizations, but system-wide, we saw it. When we had to put up hospital beds with the help of the Navy Corps of Engineers, hospital beds in convention centers, um, LifeBridge Health out in Baltimore, they built a PPE factory. So they converted an empty floor of um, their outpatient center into a functioning factory within five days. They partnered with local architects and Under Armour. Um, you know, Mayo Clinic had a call to Ford on March 19th, and they communicated how dire the PPE shortage was. And by late afternoon that same day, Ford had already deployed designers and prototypers to start, you know, getting ideas on how to transition their machinery to make PPE. So I, I can name so many systems. I think I also want to be really understanding that, um, you know, we're in the newsroom. We hear a lot about the innovation from hospital systems based on how robust their communications teams are. There are probably rural hospitals out there who don't have a person handling their press relations full time or their communications and outreach full time that have done such incredible things. 
Um, I, I think it's just, it's not only the, the ones with a lot of money, I think there's something to be said too about frugal innovation. And in rural hospitals, you have so many people wearing so many hats. And I can't even imagine if I were flying on the wall, all the decisions and innovation that took place there that they just don't have a full-time employee um, shooting out to the, pr the press and press releases <laughs> and in the other messaging. So it's been pretty inspiring to see across the board. No, that's great. I mean, those are great examples and especially seeing people, you know, leverage across industry to, to really help support and come together. So, I mean, by that, it's obvious that this is changing America, you know, now in the short term, we're, we're all kind of living it. What do you think the long-term impacts are of this pandemic? Uh, yeah, it's, I think, you know, it's a fascinating question. I'm really interested in this question. I think hospital closures and financial distress will be something we're going to see. Um, so before pandemic, one in four rural hospitals was already vulnerable to closure. Hospitals in rural America generally had only a month's worth of cash on hand for a crisis like this. And with the cancellation of electives and you have social distancing measures in place for longer than a month, I think that you know clearly spells trouble. Um, you know, cancellation of elective surgeries means even those with the strongest bottom lines, like I said, are losing hundreds of millions in a month. So it's going to take robust communication to for and time for patients and patient volumes to return uh, to what they were. So I think that's one that's probably more near term. I think the greater acceptance of telehealth is an obvious one. It's just going to be interesting to see what the insurers do there and how supportive they are of reimbursement for it. I think it's unlikely hospitals will ever operate the same. Um, like we said, innovation shows just how nimble they can be, like just like us. Um, Kelly, it, you know, working from home, it's been amazing uh -huh. to see how it really isn't that extraordinary, how much you just can get done. Um, I think too, but the people working from home, so those who aren't, don't need to be in person for patient care and other functions, it's going to be interesting to see how health systems pace and get the timing right of people returning, if at all, to offices. Um, I think more broadly, this this whole experience has just shown how linked our fates are. I think for so long, our conversation about healthcare was payers and pharma and supply and labs and hospitals, and it was very, you know, you take your pick at any given week who was looking worse. Um, who was the bad guy which week? And I think this has shown as a society, if, if my neighbor bucks social distancing, they put me at greater risk. It also has just shown how every single sector of healthcare is so dependent on one another and interdependent from the labs with testing to the timing of those testing, um, vaccines, FDA approvals, how they need to balance the need to be safe, but also nimble and move quickly. Um, PPE, where we get our PPE, our GPOs, where those relationships are, is it outsourced? So many, you know, were dependent on companies in China for their PPE that they weren't able to get it, results in a huge shortage that put people's lives at stake. Um, I mean, you name it, it's like any issue with this epidemic, or I'm sorry, this pandemic has just been, it involves at least a dozen parties and it affects every single one in some way. Um, I can't say if that's good or bad. I think that's just a shift. I think that's a shift in how we think about and talk about healthcare, which for so long we had the luxury 
of kind of dividing into these different sectors and talking one by one and singling some out. And this has shown us that we need every one of them. There's dynamics at play here that maybe we took for granted before or weren't that well aware of. Uh, and I think it's just renewed how, you know, moving forward, I think people are going to be paying much closer attention to things that might have worked well and the gears were moving in the right direction. They didn't warrant a discussion. Uh, this is shown otherwise. It definitely. And you think about, you know, kind of like what you said, all those pieces that did work together that we sort of took for granted until, you know, the entire system was compromised. And, and you do see how how really dependent um, we all are on each other. Mm-hmm. Do you think there, you know, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, some of the priorities and, you know, changes and communication and telehealth. And, and again, how do you think about recovery and you know, a lot of work for the EMRs. Is is there anything else you see around maybe the use of data or, or how we might think about healthcare data differently mm-hmm. to maybe drive a more nimble system? Mm-hmm. You know, I think one, one other thought I would be curious is we, we strive to be as apolitical as we possibly can at Becker's. And I think the role of data in what will soon be and already is becoming, if if not already, quite a political conversation. We're coming up on an election. Um, you have already states are handling this differently. It can risk becoming a blue state, red state issue. I think the role of data in making sure that these conversations aren't, they aren't derailed to become um, partisan and a distraction this is about how our country's health system as a whole, not just providers as a whole, responds to its the greatest public health threat of our lifetime. Um, data, as you know, is probably the biggest equalizer in terms of you know, objective, balance, accuracy based on facts. Um, it's something that we are striving for in our editorial coverage. I, I think it's going to be, I would hope, we'll see. I think it might just take on a renewed um, renewed relevance in some upcoming conversations about is social distancing working, um, other public health measures as we react to this and analyze it and make sense of it. I'd be curious to see how it it changes. Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about before with with even, you know, just health systems and and payers, you know, how do you how do you make some of the the good that has happened out of this permanent? And mm-hmm. and you're right, this sharing of data and at least trying in the interim to to not make that a political conversation is is a positive and how do we keep that that going as we move through and and hopefully at some point out out of this pandemic so anything else any other kind of final thoughts or, or things you think are important for you know people in the industry to kind of understand um right now or any any final thoughts from you I think on the data point, one other quote I would just share with you, I was reading through our site a little bit on this, and the the president and CEO of Temple University Hospital share with us that um, I think he speaks from himself and many of his colleagues when he says this, but he says, data is your friend. It's also what will help you convince the community to engage in social distancing to flatten the curve and let you know when it's time to resume normal operations. Um, So just one other quote, I I thought he he phrased that well. but in terms of other takeaways, I think, you know, we, like many others at Becker's, are just so 
we stand in admiration of what we've seen from our readers and their organizations over the past several weeks. Um, it was fascinating to see every major news organization at some time, like so many hospital-based stories on their websites and on the news. Um, and rightfully so, they were at the epicenter of this. But we have felt such a great sense of purpose in, in writing for these readers and sharing information with them and making sure that um, we are doing our part in providing balanced, accurate, relevant, concise information. Um, so we appreciate them so much, respect them greatly, and have a newfound sense of admiration for them. And I think, Kelly, just you know, another note to change. We are so grateful for support from partners like Change that means our website, we can continue without a paywall. Readers can find us easily. We're accessible to everyone. Um, you know, you making that possible is also something we we greatly appreciate. We notice, and we definitely do not take for granted. So I would just share that with you in closing. No, appreciate that, and and I think would also share just you know the phenomenal work that you and the the entire Becker's team are doing to make sure that we are you know keeping up to date as as industry professionals and and sharing fact you know based information on a daily basis to keep us all connected is is so necessary during this time so thank you molly really appreciate um the insights that you've shared i know it'll be be very helpful for for our listeners here well thank you so much for having me as a guest it was a pleasure and i'm grateful for the meaningful conversation so may it continue You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. For more information on this and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. Don't forget to check the show notes for useful links to related resources and our contact information. Thanks for listening and have a great day.